Good morning. Boy, that was uh, depressing. Let's try it again. Uh, good morning. All right. That's much better. Are you excited about the Christmas season? I love Christmas. I love everything about it. I love everything from the birth of Christ to Burl Ives. I love everything about Christmas. Um, I love the fact that we're going to have a pre-Christmas prayer meeting Wednesday. I love the fact that we're going to have a week before Christmas message um, on the uh, Christ of Christmas. I love the fact that I get to speak at a uh, Christmas Eve service. We're going to talk about the perfect timing of Christ. And I love the fact that we're going to have a hymn sing tonight. And I, I don't, are you here, uh, Katrina? Where are you? Are you here this morning? We're going to do some, a good number of Christmas hymns, and Katrina is going to play. It's just going to be a, a ball. I'm excited about it. I hope you are too. We're going to try to do everything we can to focus you and ourselves on the right thing, which is Jesus, right? Yeah. And, but in the meantime, we are still going through the book of Hebrews. And I'd like you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, where we're in what's called God's Hall of Faith or Faith's Hall of Fame. All these great saints uh, characterized by a great faith in God. And today we just come to one verse, although we'll be going back into the Old Testament to look at it in detail. But we're in Hebrews 11, verse 30, where it says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. You know, there's a lot of golf stories out there. Do we have any golfers here at church? Not very many got one golfer. One? This is one of all you guys? All right, well, forget this story then. No. Um, there are a lot of golf stories out there, but this one might right near the top anyway. We live on a golf course, so I don't know, maybe that makes a difference, but at a golf course, four men approached the 16th tee. The straight fairway ran along a road and bike path fenced off on the left. The first golfer teed off and hooked the ball in that direction. The ball went over the fence and bounced off the bike path onto the road, where it hit the tire of a moving bus and it was knocked back on to the middle of the fairway. As they all stood in amazement, one man asked, how in the earth did you do that? He shrugged his shoulders and said, you have to know the bus schedule. <laughs> no, I call that faith. That's faith, okay? Um, that's what faith is, and that's what we're talking about in Hebrews chapter 11. We're talking about faith. Over and over again, we're talking about faith. In fact, I read this week, because I hadn't really tallied it up, that Faith is mentioned 24 times in Hebrews chapter 11. So you know that's the theme, right? Faith. What faith is and how to exercise it, how to enjoy it. Because faith is something that we can enjoy on a daily basis, as odd as that might seem. It's enjoyable to exercise faith in God. It really is very enjoyable. It's, it can be like being pulled through a knothole backwards sometimes, but it is enjoyable. It really, really is. But God t talks a lot about faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And I think there's a couple of reasons why. One is because throughout our Christian life, and as Brian mentioned, in the life of our church, and churches, over and over again, 
time and time again, we encounter different and difficult situations and circumstances. It won't end until we go to be with the Lord. And I don't say that as a downer, it's just the way life is. We, we, enter dile- we have dilemmas and difficult circumstances, and as long as we live on this earth, that's the way it's going to be, okay? And uh, those circumstances, those, those dilemmas require us as believers to trust God in faith, even before we see the situation resolved. God says, you need to trust me before everything becomes clear, everything is resolved, all, before all the pieces are in place. Okay, and those things, these things can be tough, really tough, and I'm not gonna sit here and tell you that courageous faith is an easy thing today, I'm not gonna do it. I have discovered that, that courageous faith is difficult at times, um, but it is I would have to say right now the most enjoyable thing that I'm experiencing in my spiritual life after being a Christian since 1973, okay? And I don't know what you come in here with today. I never really know all of it, never will know all of it, don't need to know all of it. It may be something that you just can't seem to resolve in your life. You just, the pieces just won't fall into place. Or, or maybe it's something that just seems unfixable or impossible. You just can't. You don't know how to put it together, how to fix it. And this is a new one that I, I didn't come up with, but the Lord brought to my mind, and maybe some of you are facing it. You're facing a deadline, and you do not know how you're going to meet that deadline. It could be a workload deadline. It could be a financial deadline. It, it could be some kind of deadline, and you just don't know, how am I going to get from here to there in the time that I've been given to get there. If you're like me, it might be something that requires deep wisdom or clarification or guidance that you really feel is beyond your capabilities, okay? I know people that just, they just seem to be able to make the right decisions, to have the wisdom for everything that happens in their lives. I'm not one of those people. I'm constantly faced with things. I just don't know how to get to point B from point A. I guess that's just how God wired me. Or it might be some unmet need or some blockage or barrier. It could be family-related, future-related, fear-related, financially-related, as I mentioned. It could be a person that just frustrates you. But you want to know how to resolve it. You want to know how to get through it. You want God to work, okay? And so that's why we need this chapter, chapter 11. And that's why I'm going slow. That's why I'm picking it apart like a Christmas turkey, piece by piece, because I don't want to miss any of it, okay? And so I'm going to take these individuals person by person until we know what faith is, backwards, forwards, inside and out, upside and down. And I feel like I've done my job, and I hope you'll feel like you've been blessed with it as you run into those inevitable circumstances and situations that you are going to or are in right now run into. Uh, I kind of remember the words of a famous basketball coach. I wish I could tell you who he was. Maybe it was John Wooden or somebody like that. But he said, the way that I teach my players is to, sit, to, to, to say the same thing in as many ways as possible. And I think that's what God's got going here in Hebrews um, Uh, chapter 11, to say the same thing in as many different ways as possible so we get it, so we digest it. 
and apply it. Um, I just think that God knows we need a lot of examples of the same thing, so we walk out of here stronger and stronger and stronger in our faith. Okay, that's my desire for you. And also in, in tandem with that, connected with that is, um, gosh, I guess I should just point at myself and not at you, but with each crisis point that I enter into, I forget about the last time God was faithful to get me through. I was hoping for more of a response from you, but obviously I'm the only one that does that. Each crisis I come to, I go, oh no, what's gonna happen this time? And I forget that every other time I trusted God, he came through for me. And that's why we need this over and over and over again. What, is, what do you teachers say? Do I have any teachers here? I don't have anybody here this morning, I'm telling you. <laughs> no golfers, no teachers. My wife's a substitute teacher. Deb, would you raise your hand for me? Thank you. <laughs> but teachers say repetition is the key to learning, right? That's what they say. Do they say that? Thank you. All right. The, the job of a pastor's wife is to say amen and to everything her husband says while he's up here. So now we come to one of the greatest stories uh, in the Bible on faith, and that is the, the walls of Jericho, right? I mean, who has never heard Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, right? We could all sing it right now, probably. Now, we could sing lots of songs. We could sing the theme song to Gilligan's Island together. We could sing the song to the Brady Bunch together, but, but you've heard Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. How many have not heard Joshua fit the battle of Jericho? Good, I finally got you to agree on something, okay. <laughs> So here comes the children of Israel. They got the flooding Jordan in the, behind them. They've got the walls of Jericho that are formidable, imposing in front of them. They're sealed, they're tightly fortified, and they're in a dilemma. They're facing something big, like maybe you, person, place, or thing. The title of the message this morning is Faith Outside the Walls. Faith Outside the Walls, Confronting Our Difficulties with Courageous Faith. Faith outside the walls, confronting our difficulties with courageous faith because I see the walls of Jericho as a great metaphor for the things that we face on a constant basis. Now, and, and there's no age limit on this thing. You could be a grade school kid here this morning. You could be a middle schooler, high schooler, college, adult, on up through senior adult. I mean, it, it, it's all the same deal, Okay. How do we have faith outside the walls? How do we confront our difficulties with courageous faith? Well, we're going to look at six. I'll try to move quickly, but um, quickly is not my middle name, as you have found out. But let's just try to move this along and apply it. First of all, to confront our difficulties with courageous faith and, and get the answers and resolution that I believe God wants us to give us, wants to give us. Uh, in his time and way, we need to remember six things. Number one, we need to remember the true meaning of faith all the time. What is faith? What is faith? What is faith? Well, go to verse 30 again in Hebrews chapter 11, and we're given the example of faith. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. I didn't know, I'm finding new things about Hebrews 11 all the time. I didn't know that faith is mentioned 40, 24 times. Did I mention that already? 24 times. Okay, that's how important it is. 
And I think the best definition of faith in the Bible is the first verse of the 11th chapter, if you have your Bibles. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Let's talk about what faith is not. I've done this before, I'll do it quickly now. Faith is not positive thinking, positive self-talk, faith in human potential, faith in the human spirit, faith in faith, faith in anything else. This is what faith is, expanding on verse one. Faith is trusting God to be true to his word and to his promises until the results come, no matter how he does it or how long it takes. Faith is trusting God to be true to his word and to his promises until the results come, no matter how he does it or how long it takes. And I'll I'll just put a twist on it. Faith is unconditional confidence that what God says in his word and through his spirit will come to pass. It is confidence, uh, unconditional confidence, that what God says in his word and through his spirit will come to pass. That's the true meaning of faith. And it's by faith, as we read in verse 30 of chapter 11, that the connection is there. By faith, the walls fell down. By faith, it happened. By faith. Okay? That's how they, the connection. Faith to fell. Let's go to a second one. By, to confront our difficulties with courageous faith and to get the answers and results that God wants us to have, in the dilemmas and difficulties that we face, not only do we need to remember the true meaning of faith, believing without seeing. Secondly, true faith is always in line with God's word and with God's will. Faith is always in line with God's word and with God's will. So now I would ask you to go to the story of the walls of Jericho back in Joshua chapter 5 and 6. And we're going to read verses 13 through 15 right now because true faith If you want to know what it is, it's always in line with God's word and will. It's not us manipulating God, controlling God, all right, forcing God to do what we want him to do. It's falling in line with his word and his will. Look at verses uh, 13 through 15, chapter 5. Now, when Joshua was nearing Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for this place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And now there is debate on who this person is. I'll give you the three options. One, that it's a Christophany or Christophany. It's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. That's some. Some say it's a theophany, uh, 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 an appearance of God the Father. And some say it's one of the higher-up angels in God's angelic kingdom. There's arguments for all three. I'm not even going to split hairs on it. I don't really, I don't really, it doesn't really matter that much to me other than this incredible being appeared to Joshua. And I love his, this, this angel of the Lord's response to Joshua. And Joshua says, are you for us or for our enemies? And I think Joshua probably expected the angel to say to him, of course, Joshua, I'm on your side. But what does he say? 
What, what does the angel say when Joshua asks him, whose side are you on, mine or, or my enemies? Neither. Neither. Whoa. I love that. I love that. You know why I love that? Because it wasn't whether the man was on Joshua's side, but was Joshua on the Lord's side. God doesn't say, I'm on your side. Wh whatever you say. He says, you're on my side. Take off your shoes. This is holy ground. Worship me. Same thing that happened in Exodus 3, verse 2, in the burning bush, when the Lord appeared to, to Moses and said, take off your shoes. And Joshua, being the humble servant of God that he was, took off his shoes, and he worshiped God. Listen, when it comes to how we achieve victory and results, when we're facing these, these walls of Jericho in our lives, whatever they may be, person, place, or thing, situation, circumstance, or dilemma, I'm not trying to read your mind. You, the Holy Spirit can tell you what he's trying to tell you. But when it comes to achieving victory, when we face challenges, the question is not whether God is on our side, but are we on his? It's on his terms, not ours. This is why I take such issue with the faith, word faith movement, or the, or the uh, name, I've, I don't want to be funny here, but the name and the claim it, blab it and grab it type of, you know, I've mentioned it before, where I tell God what I want, and he's going to do that because I have enough faith generated up in my pathetic body of mind and flesh to make him uncurl his fingers from what I want. Baloney. God gives us so much. Whatever's in his word, whatever comes as a genuine promise of the Holy Spirit, it's ours for the taking. But it's on his terms, not ours. And that's why I love that the angel of the Lord says, I'm not on your side, I'm not on their side. You need to be on my side. You're going to do things my way. Jesus calls the shots, not us. Our faith matches up with him and his word, not our will. We don't control, we don't manipulate, we submit to his will and to his word, period, end of story, and we're blessed for doing so. Number three, to confront our difficulties and challenges and unknowns and our dilemmas with faith, whatever it is, family, future, faith, finances, fears, frustrations, whatever it is, we need to remember uh, that the meaning of faith, we need to remember that true faith is always in line with God's word and will. And thirdly, we need to not be intimidated by how daunting our difficulties are. To not be intimidated by how daunting our difficulties are. Look at verse one of Joshua chapter six. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. It's just, since it's just one verse. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Now, that's intimidating. This place is shut up tight. And I, I, I just think it's so easy to be intimidated by our circumstances. And I can say this with certainty, I am and sometimes you are too. And we come to one of those walls and we go, it's how? How's it going to get fixed? How's it going to get resolved? How's, how's, how's God going to come through for me? It's, it's just easy to do every time. How's, how's God going to resolve this for our church family, for our personal life? Some have described the walls of Jericho 
as, I'll just give you a grocery list here, imposing, impregnable, impenetrable, impossible, unassailable, unconquerable, invincible, and unbearable. And that's the way some of our, our issues are too. And you might say, you know, Mitch, you're describing me. My, my walls. Now, let's get, do a, little, a few statistics here. The city of, Je- of Jericho was already 2,000 years old when the Israelites rolled up to it. So they had, a, they had time to build some pretty good walls. In fact, depending on who you read, they, these walls are about four stories high and from anywhere from 8 to 20 feet thick. I split the difference and called it 14. 14 feet thick. They were so thick that you could, you could uh, uh, drive several chariots on the walls at the same time. That's a thick wall. Okay, you think of the walls that you have at home. I'd have to ask a contractor here, what a gen- generally what a wall, how, what's a normal thickness for a wall? Six inches? Th- yeah, these are 14 inches, 14 feet rather, 14 feet. Okay, and I don't think I'm a genius, I know you don't, but I, I just dug this up uh, historically. Uh, and, and I've looked at pictures of this landscape, and it's very intimidating. But anyway, pictures show, uh, or uh, uh, J- the, the walls of Jericho, Jericho was built on a mound with earthen embankments sloping up to the city. So normal methods of conquest, like ramps, siege towers, battering rams, ladders, grappling hooks, ropes, uh, were useless. And they hadn't invented catapults yet, so that didn't work. Right? And to starve them or, or deprive them of food and water didn't work because it was a well, uh, well uh, provided with food and water. There was only thing that was, one thing that was going to work, and that was faith. Faith in an almighty God. And you know what, you guys? God, Taylor, makes us or puts us into situations where we got nothing left but him. You say, why am I facing my unique set of circumstances? Because he knows what it takes to take us to him in faith. And it's not like he's cruel or mean or anything. In fact, it's just the opposite. He's doing it for our blessing and his glory. This doesn't seem that way at the time. He's, I'll get into this a little bit later, but he's doing it to develop us and mature us and deepen us. Well, I'll get to that in a little bit. You might want to leave during that part of the sermon, okay? But we readily uh, face things that, that God can easily conquer but he brings us to those that will just trust in him. In Matthew 9, 29, I didn't put it on the screen, Jesus said, according to your faith be it unto you, not according to your flesh, not according to yourself, not according to your own ingenuity or personality, according to your faith. Faith. It's like the difference between a high jumper and a pole vaulter. Do you ever like watching those on the Olympics? I love watching that stuff on the Olympics. I loved watching it when my, one of my kids was, uh, ran track at high school back in their high school days. And I'd go to these track meets and I just really enjoyed watching all the events, not just his. 
And I really liked the high jump and I really liked the pole vault, but they're different. The high jumper, he's running and he's just everything he can do or she can do to get over that bar. But the pole vaulter, it's a different deal. They run down the thing they run down to on and whatever, the pole vault path, and uh, they stick that pole in the hole and they put all of their weight on the pole. And the pole bends and it rebounds and it lifts them to a level they couldn't have reached on their own. Just uncanny. And you look at those Olympics, what is it, like 19 feet or something crazy thing? And if you don't think that's high, go stand under 19 feet and you go, what? It's the difference between getting ourselves over or being propelled over. That's the difference. That's faith in an all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful God. And we shouldn't let anything intimidate us uh, by our walls. Our walls, not let any of our walls intimidate us because we have a God who lift us over the, that wall if we do it by faith and trust in him. That takes us to number four. To confront and conquer our difficulties with courageous faith and get the answers and resolutions that God wants to give us, we need to remember, number four, to get God's perspective on the difficulties and get out of ours. To get God's perspective. Look at verse two of chapter six, Joshua chapter six. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. Do you notice anything kind of weird about that verse? It hadn't happened yet. You know, I know what I would have said if I was Joshua. Lord, I don't see nothing. I see walls. And God said to Joshua, see, I have. I've already done it. I've delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. In verse two, God sees everything that intimidated Joshua in the past tense. It's a done deal. He's saying to Joshua, Joshua, in my mind, I've already done it. And that's how God wants you and me to face our impossibilities. Whether it's as a church family, financially, or our future pastor, or anything else, our unity, whatever it is, or, or, or our personal lives. It's already done. You say, that's hard. Didn't say it was easy. It's very simple. It's just not easy. But that's how God wants us to face our formidable faith challenges personally as a church. Our dilemmas. Faith in the all-knowing power of God who knows all the details ahead of time and how he is going to do it. And that's how we confront our difficulties and dilemmas with courageous faith. Number five. Number five. Okay? Again, just, just number four. I gotta go back to number four just for my own personal peace of mind. God is asking us to trust him in faith before we see the end result. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is being what? Certain of things that we hope for, but the evidence of things not seen. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. To see with the eyes of faith. And then number five, we need to remember to confront our difficulties with courageous faith, we need to remember that only obedient faith tears down impossible barriers 
Only obedient faith. So here's the deal, you guys. Along the way, God's gonna ask us to do some stuff that might not make sense to us. Does God ever do that with you? It just might not make, it might not match up with our human reasoning. Might not. But he's asking us to do it. And this is the story. So now we read the story. Okay, verses 3 through 16, 17. Um, March, this is the instructions God gives Joshua. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry the trumpets in, the, in front of it. And he ordered the people, advanced, advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the Ark. And when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the people, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word. And that's hard for a lot of Jewish people, okay? I, I can tell you, I grew up in a Jewish home. That's tough not to say a word, okay. I lost my place. Where am I? Ten and a half. But Joshua had commanded the people, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until I tell you to shout, then shout. And so he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the people returned to camp and spent the night there. And Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord and while, while the trumpets kept sounding. And so on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp, and they did this for six days. And on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city and the city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. And then we'll go down to verse 20. And when the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. And so every man charged straight in and they took the city. Yeah, amen. Um, only obedient faith tears down impossible barriers, okay? They were told what to do, go around the city six times for six straight days. First, send the soldiers, then the priests blowing the shofars, and then the Ark of the Covenant in the middle, then all the people then, um, and who have to stay absolutely quiet, and then followed by the rear guard of the soldiers, all moving at a snail's pace. Then on the seventh day, march around the city seven times, blast the trumpets, and then the people were to give a loud shout, and then the wall would collapse unconventional, really, you know, at the risk of sounding irreverent, silly. So, I mean, can you imagine these generals and, and army guys going, oh, yeah, that's a good plan. Yeah, yeah, 
yeah, yeah, let's, let's just, let's march around and yell loud. That'll win the battle. That's not what they taught us at war college. <laughs> but in courageous, obedient faith, this is what they did. They believed and they trusted God that God was going to do what he said he's going to do if they obeyed him. And that's what he did. And I want to talk, give you three important lessons at this point that come out of this fifth point um, that only obedient faith tears down impossible barriers. First of all, when we exercise obedient faith, it, it, it's going to be, God's ways are often going to be different than our ways. It's not always going to go the way we want it to go. We think, well, I'll give an ounce, maybe six ounces, maybe half a pound of obedience, and then God's going to work. Well, God says, no, I'm going to work the way I want to work. This is what he says to, in Isaiah's uh, book, uh, 55, verse 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God says, I'm going I'm, I'm to work the way I work. And there'll be twists, and there'll be turns, and there'll be chess pieces that move around on the board, and God will set it all up his way, not our way. But he'll do it. He'll do it. But I can just think, hear these generals going, marching, trumpeting, shouting? Really? And then you got to know that the Amorites inside of Jericho are going, hey, why don't you march a little faster? You know, ridiculing them. This is tough. This is really tough. Can I, I want to say this as from experience, from dead-on experience. It takes psychological and spiritual courage to do things the way God wants us to do them. You with me? It takes courage because it's not easy. I'm telling you from experience, God has told me I will do anything in my Bible or through my Holy Spirit that I give you as a promise is as good as done. But you're going to have to have courageous faith to let me do it my way. And so many of us bail out. We don't give God the chance to do it his way because it's not being done our way. And we lose blessings. And I'm not saying it's easy, but we need courage, courage to believe God. It takes courage, okay? A second thing here is, it's not, not only does this have to be done God's way, but it has to be done in God's time. And if you can't say amen, say ouch, okay? God's timing, I'm going to give you a revelation this morning. This is going to just, you're going to, just be careful. This, this floor is really hard and you're going to fall out of your chair and hurt yourself. So be, brace yourself. God's timing is different than ours. And usually God doesn't show up when we want him to. Not just in the way that he, we want him to, but in the time that he wants to. He has his own time and it's not usually our time. And there's a couple reasons for that. Number one, he uses the time between our request and the fulfillment, not to frustrate us, but he's trying to increase our faith. He doesn't want a bunch of, of, of weak faith people, but strong faith people. 
And so he uses time to develop our faith. Okay, and that had to take uh, patience to go around it seven times. We're not talking about a group of about 500 people. We're talking about a group of a couple million people. The people that started it were probably back at camp while the people in camp were still coming out. Okay? God will come through for you. I don't know what you brought here. He will. He'll come through for me. But he'll do it in his time because he wants to develop our faith. And with, with, with each new time that, it com- that we go through this, our faith develops a little bit more and we get stronger and stronger and stronger in faith. I'm a little stronger in faith now than I was six months ago because God has answered some prayers in my life. Now, I'm not saying I'm just a great man of faith. I'm not, but I'm a little bit stronger. And with everyone he answers, I get stronger and God wants us to be strong people of faith. Not a bunch of weak sisters. Okay? And, and that brings us to why it took seven times. Okay? Because we asked, Lord, why not the first time around? Why not the second? I, Lord, third, please? Fifth? Sixth? Finally, on the seventh time, it all came together. Why? Well, just a little bit of creative thinking here. I, I don't attribute this to... Well, you know what? I think it has some merit. But, you know, seven is the perfect number in the Bible. Did you know that? It represents perfection. And I just wrote this down. The number seven is the perfect number in the Scripture. God has perfect timing and perfect results when it comes to answering our prayers and tearing down impossible barriers in our lives. And when His will intersects with the amount of growth and timing uh, of the situation, that's when the answer comes. Will we wait for that? Instead of bailing out. Oh, God, God, let me down again. No. God never lets us down. We just choose to bail out. Do things our own way. How, good, how, how well does that go for us? Last lesson here before we get to our final point is that God must be at the center of focus of, and focus of everything in our lives for us to have impossible barriers collapse in our lives. You say, well, I'll just watch and see from the sidelines to see if God's going to come through for me. No, you won't. Because he won't. And that brings us to the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a symbol of God's presence in the Bible. And in this short little section, it's mentioned 11 times. What's the point? God's presence has to be in the middle of the people of God for him to act on behalf of the people of God. Now that goes individually as well as corporately. That's why we have prayer meetings. So we can do things as a body, call on the presence of God. That's why we have community groups to come together as the body. That's why we have Sunday morning services, to come together as a, If you're not doing any of that, how do you expect God to deal in your life? Now, our way of getting into the presence of God or getting God's presence into us is prayer, the word, and fellowship. That's our ark of the covenant. That's what the Holy Spirit works through. You say, well, I'll do prayer and I'll do the word, but yeah, that fellowship stuff, I don't know. 
Well, then don't, don't expect God's presence. Well, you know, I'll do the fellowship, but I'm not into the word that, and prayer. It's just not my gig. Then don't expect God to, you know, it's, it's a trifecta. But when God's people get into God's word and get into prayer with God and fellowship with the people of God, then they have the presence of God and like the Ark of the Covenant, something great will happen in God's time and in God's way. Otherwise, we're relying on our own intellect, instincts, attitudes, and abilities, worldly methods, and our walls won't collapse like they did here. But they didn't. They relied on the presence of God. And then the wall went down. You know what's interesting? It doesn't say the wall fell in. It didn't say it fell out. What did it say? It collapsed. You ever play Jenga? Anybody ever play Jenga? Oh, yeah, now I get the hands up. All right. (laughs) Nothing spiritual. It's a game. Okay. I'm starting to read this church for what it really is. A game-playing church. No, I'm just kidding. I play Jenga, too. And not too often. When the kids were small, I did it more. But um, it goes down, usually. I mean, I know it goes in and out, but, but it goes kind of down. And that's why it, it fell flat. I love the imagery. It fell flat. It fell flat. It's like when they explode those buildings, those old buildings. I don't know how these demolition guys do it, but it just goes flat. That's what happened. Okay? And that's what God wants to do with your walls in his way and in his time and in, as a church. In, in his way and in his time. Take the imposing, impossible, um, impregnable things that we just go, Lord, are you gonna work? I'm, right now I'm stressing God. God says, I got it. Trust me in faith. And the walls will come down. Okay, and that brings us to our last uh, thing here, our last uh, thing we need to remember to confront our difficulties, our walls with courageous faith. The things that loom over us or seem immovable or insurmountable. And that is, while we get the blessing, God must receive all the glory. And that's a, a maxim that I'm learning in my life right now. Aside from helping me grow in faith incrementally, I'm learning that, that, that God wants to work in my life, but he's got to get all the glory. He'll give me the blessing, but he must receive the glory. Go back to verse 17. Look at the first part of verse 17. Joshua 6. The city God promises Joshua, and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. And then down in verse uh, 18. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. What's he saying there? When God works, he wants us to resist the temptation to take any of the glory because it is all due to him. All of it. And he loves to bless us, but it must go to his glory. I pray that every week before I preach. Oh, I pray it. I can't even tell you how many times I pray a week. Lord, bless me and the church with this message for your glory. For your glory. 
Bless this, bless that, bless me in this area that I know is your will through your word and through the spirit for your glory. My blessing, your glory. Okay? He didn't want anything to feed the pride that the Israelites could get from this or cause them to take credit for themselves. I gotta be honest with you. I know I sound like I'm hammering you guys, but a lot of times God will withhold the answer until he gets the glory and he knows that we'll get the blessing, but he's gotta get the glory out of it. And he knows that there are people like me that sometimes can be a glory hog, so he's got to hold off until there's no question about who did it. Am I saying the okay things this morning? Okay. That's the only amen I asked for today, by the way. The only one. But God's plan for every victory for us is, is, is this order, to humble our pride, to reveal our weakness, and then accentuate his power. To humble our pride, reveal our weakness, and then accentuate his power. All God asks from us and from them is courageous faith and trust. Well, a few closing thoughts this morning. First of all, do you know that your faith can lift the faith of others? You know, Joshua's faith lifted the entire body of the Israelites. You know, your faith can lift the faith of your children. When you trust God and he comes through, it lifts the faith of your children or your grandchildren or your spouse or your parents or your friends or your Christian acquaintances or fellow church members and attenders or it can, it can give you an effective witness for lost people when they see God working in your life. This is why, this is the incentive for being people of faith. It lifts the faith of others. Secondly, faith can be individual, but it can be corporate too. And that's why we have community group or prayer meeting. If you're not doing nothing, I, I talked to um, Sam this morning. I said, Sam, because Sam has been running our prayer meetings, can we take the first 10, 15 minutes of prayer meeting just to pray for our church? He said, no. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> he said, absolutely, because we've had our needs shared financially in terms of our pastoral search. We want unity. We want forward movement. We want protection. And so that's what we're going to do. But we do it individually. We do it corporately. Okay, and then I just want to finish with this question maybe, okay? And it's this. What are your walls this morning? What are they? I'm talking to you personally, just you. It's me and you today, just me and you. What are your walls? What, what, what is the dilemma that you find yourself in right now? What is, so, what is your difficulty? What is your discouragement right now? What is it? What is it? Will you pledge to fight that battle by faith? God is meeting you this morning in this, and he's saying this to you and to me. Be a person of faith. Jesus said you don't need more than a mustard seed. Don't feel like you have to be a great person of faith. You don't. You just need faith in a great person of God. And I love that Jesus said by faith is a grain of a mustard seed. You can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. But what is it? What's your dilemma? What's your difficulty? What's your discouragement? Faith, that's where the victory is.
begin that courageous pathway, that courageous journey to begin to say with your mouth, God, if it's in your word, if the Holy Spirit has told me, then I'm going to get courageous and I'm scared and I don't know if I'm going to do this right, but I believe you. And I believe in your time and in your way and for your glory, you're going to come through for me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to plant a flag. I'm going to drive a stake in the ground. And no matter how difficult it is, I am going to believe you and take you at your word for my walls. It's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. Because some of these walls can look so intimidating, but God says, I'll take it right down to ground level. And the final question is, have you exercised faith in Christ for your salvation? Okay. See, you can't live in faith until you're saved through faith in Christ for your salvation. I want to encourage you, if you're not a believer here this morning or online, you're listening on, online, if you've never re- repented of your sin and turned to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and trusted him, trusted him to be the ultimate and only provision for the forgiveness of your sins based on his atoning death for you on the cross, turn to him and surrender to his lordship and his leadership and his rulership and his control. He'll forgive you and he'll give you a place in his kingdom by his grace and his grace only. Let's pray together. Father God, I'm not going to be naive enough to think that I'm the only one here that has walls. It's the human condition. Time after time after time after time. But the great thing is we have a God who is infinite above all of our walls. And we link our faith to your omnipotence and your power, yes, and your love, and trust that in your time and way and for your shape and glory, you'll bring our walls down. We are so thankful for you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Go out, have just an awesome, awesome day, and uh, we'll see you again.